Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle, and today is August 12, 2021, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Today was WASD, right, Kevin? Yep. Right, Nicole? Yes. Right, Eric? It certainly was. Oh my gosh. Holy WASD day. And so uh, today we're going to talk about WASD. And that's Kevin Combs, Vice President of McKinney Flavelle, Eric Thornton, Commodity Specialist, and Nicole Thomas, Vice President of McKinney Flavelle. Welcome, everybody. Woohoo! Yay! Yeah, it's it was... on a Thursday and not a Friday. That's yes. right. Yeah, at least that's you know, working for us. Thursday night, it's a new Friday night. So everybody have fun today. <laughs> <laughs> tell, your, about... tell your kids that. What we're about to tell you is 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 uh, informative, and we're going to get some great intel from these analysts here. But I, you know, I'll tell you, I was on vacation last week, as y'all know, uh, out there, and and I went back and I listened to our podcast, and I just want to congratulate our group of analysts uh, who were extremely accurate on what would come out today. And in fact, uh, you know, she's going to hate this, but Nicole, on your corn yield, you were almost spot on. And the team was extremely close. So great job. Uh, unfortunately, I guess I can yes, say it all. Exactly. That's not, not necessarily there. a good mm-hmm. thing. No, right. but but and, and those who read that IQ post will know that um, it had a lot of uh, analysis behind it and a lot of uh, accuracy in this case. So hey, pat yourself on the back when you can. So um, with that said, I, Nicole, why don't we start with you on corn and soybeans and uh, what they do today? Hey, you have to emphasize how good of information we have available on the platform. And and not just that, not just the analysis itself. And and just as much kudos to Eric, because we 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 worked on that analysis together. And we post that on IQ last week. And with those, with reports like that, I guess I should say, in the weekly reports that Eric and I write on the uh, corn and soy market, we also make recommendations on what to do with futures. So I have to point this out. Mm-hmm. If you were checking that stuff out on IQ, you probably would have bought some futures ahead of this report. And you might be, I don't know, 20 cent richer cost savings, whatever we're, we're calling it in this scenario. There you go. But Actually, it was somewhat surprising to me that USDA would would take the yield down as significantly as they did. That that was probably the biggest surprise is that we saw that in this August report. In the past, you know, they'll inch their way down. You know, August, September, by October, we're we're usually right where we need to be. So to see that yield come down to one seventy four point six bushels uh, per acre for corn in this report, a little surprising there. Maybe a little surprising to the market, uh, as we saw futures trade uh, considerably higher today. But the bottom line is it's very similar to what what we've been talking about on, on these podcasts for months now. The weather scenario in the upper Midwest being more than a little bit concerning. And as uh, Eric and I were talking about earlier uh, with a client, we've been in what appears to be like a perpetual weather market. So not only... Did we see that significant reduction to yield for the U.S. in terms of production there? We also saw a significant reduction to production 
that rhymed. I like that reduction to production of 6 million tons for Brazil uh, and their numbers at 87 million metric tons. So, uh, and that's down by about 15% from 2019-20. So, you know, with Brazil being a major player in the global export market, uh, that's, that's certainly a big deal. And uh, we will continue to watch weather for corn coming into uh, the fourth quarter of this year as Brazil uh, and Argentina get their plantings underway to see if we're, we're going to be able to make a, a sharp recovery going into 2122. Uh, but at least from the WASDI standpoint, those global numbers push the ending stocks down for 2122, a little over six and a half million tons to a little over 284.5 million metric tons. So obviously painting a scenario for a bullish market, (laughs) we're coming out of what's been a pretty bullish market for this year, anticipating another bullish market coming into 2122. And for perspective, uh, the stocks to use ratio for 2021 globally, 21.3%. Uh, this adjustments to today's report or, or adjustments to the balance sheet within today's report put global stocks to use for next year at 20.6%. So coming down additionally. And we also saw a uh, stocks reduction in the U.S. Uh, now projected at 1.242 billion bushels with a stocks to use ratio of 8.5%. Bottom line, this is certainly bullish support. I'm sure you could get a a bevy of opinions in terms of what this means for corn prices. As Eric stated on more than a few occasions now, it it looks like we're looking at a very similar scenario going into 21-22 is what we've experienced this year, uh, which would indicate you're looking at, you know, corn prices, futures from the low or excuse me, from the high fives to potentially, you know, get back into that $7 range. And the other thing I should mention, too, in order for us to have that 8.5% stocks to use ratio domestically, uh, USDA had to revise a lower couple of demand categories, uh, including feed, which uh, let Eric talk a little bit about wheat for feed. Um, but, you know, uh, it doesn't look like there was, you know, something in the way of an offset presented there. And exports that were lowered by 100 million bushels, which you know, considering how small this Brazilian crop is, yeah, we may see another year of strong corn exports as well. So, you know, as the saying goes, big crops get bigger, small crops get smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes uh, low ending stocks get lower. So I would say uh, folks should certainly be be paying attention and keeping an eye on that uh, in the coming months. Now, soybeans, We also saw a reduction to the U.S. yield Uh, that went uh, down almost by a bushel per acre to 50 and arguably could be a little lower. We'll have to see how things pan out again in the upper Midwest and how that compares, you know, the potential for lower than than average yields in the upper Midwest relative to the potential for higher than expected or higher than average yields in other portions of the belt that have, have uh, uh, had much better weather throughout this growing season. Bottom line is 21-22 ending stock stayed at 155 million bushels. We got a slight bump to uh, carry in 
for 2122. And we also uh, had a couple of, of uh, reasonably minor uh, reductions to demand for uh, both corn or excuse me, for exports and for crush. Uh, both down about 15 million bushels. And again, same sort of questions exist, knowing that more than likely we're going to see pretty strong demand for soybean oil use in biofuels, uh, most notably renewable diesel, barring any change to agricultural policy here. And then, you know, there there's a case to be made that that number may actually end up, you know, slowly but surely coming back up down the road. And uh, also for exports, the same scenario there uh, could potentially see a little more in the way of exports, uh, particularly if uh, Argentina continues to, to struggle with, with some of its transportation issues and depending on how long that lasts. Again, kind of putting weather back to the forefront or keeping it in the forefront, I guess I should say, and uh, how that relates to their ability to, to get grain down the uh, Piranha River and ultimately get um, products exported out of, out of uh, Argentina as well. Uh, so more, more attention yet on the weather and just a, a slight reduction to soybean oil demand or excuse me, uh, ending stocks for 2021-22. We saw, of course, lower production have to lower production. If crush is lowered, you're going to get lower soybean oil production and also lower use for biofuels. They took that down by about 200 million pounds. And meanwhile, uh, increased food feed and, and uh, other industrial use quite a bit. Uh, so net net, just a, a subtle reduction to ending stocks. And again, something to watch very closely because right now, everything as far as demand is concerned is speculative until we get firm numbers, uh, kind of hard to gauge much beyond the fact that things are looking really tight as they stand now. So now that I've adequately depressed everybody uh, going into the weekend, who's up next? No, well, you know, I'm not depressed. You know why? Because it's good information and it intel. Is. It can is. Ha- I can better make decisions. And uh, so a uh, shameless plug here. Those that aren't uh, customers of McKinney, uh, go to our website, McKinney-Favelle.com. There's a great piece that Nicole did on how we can help you on oils, edible oils. So a lot happening in that arena and uh, love to help uh, more, more people out there understand how to navigate through it. So check it out. It's a very cool piece on our website. Eric, you're up. What's going on with wheat? Well, Mike, uh, we talked last month in July about the USDA making some very steep and downward revisions to production here in the United States. And, you know, we saw the same stance here today with corn, as Nicole mentioned, you know, pretty steep revision, kind of getting right to the point, not, not doing these slow adjustments down. And they did the same thing here in the global balance sheet for wheat, where they did some sizable reductions in Canada and Russia. We are also expecting a, a drop in the U.S., which we did receive, but I'll get into that one uh, in a little bit. But right away, uh, kind of starting with global production, we're uh, now looking at a production figure of 776.9 million metric tons, which is down 15.5 million metric tons versus July. So quite a drop there to production and, and leading the way were two countries that we've had our eye on for being 
overvalued here for production for a little while, and that's Canada and Russia. So as we've been talking about all summer here in the, the Northern Plains and talking about spring wheat really getting damaged and, and some really poor numbers in terms of yield and production because of the dryness and drought. Oh, yes, but our Canadian friends to the north are dealing with the same circumstance. So Canada is falling now from 31.5 millimetric tons all the way down to 24 millimetric tons, 24% reduction, pretty steep. So wow. Russia also falling quite substantially, about a 15% drop to production from 85 millimetric tons down to 72.5 millimetric tons. And I'd say, you know, more, you know, most pre-report estimates I've seen, at least for Russia, were, weren't that low. You know, in the low 170s, we were definitely seeing, you know, triangulated anticipation of production numbers in the, you know, mid to high 170s. So definitely USDA is a little more pessimistic on at least Russia versus the industry. But nevertheless, that's the number we have currently and really don't see much improvement for the Canadian number. But again, maybe Russia's a little overstated. We'll see how their spring wheat crop harvests here, but they have had some less than anticipated yield numbers for winter wheat. So that's the reason really for the decrease there. Quickly on some small increases we saw by way of production given to Australia and the Ukraine, rising by one and a half million metric tons and three million metric tons respectively. So Ukraine's looking to have a, a good year. They've been a little bit dry lately. We'll see if that holds or affects any numbers come harvest time here over the next few months. But if that holds on, that'd be a record crop for the Ukraine at 33 million metric tons. And then again, Australia could even grow larger in my estimation as uh, La Nina looks to return here in the fall and winter months, which sets up good for them for continued rainfall, which they've had um, over the last 18 months. Then on the demand side, we did see a lower vision to feed by 3 millimetric tons. And really, aside from that, in combination with the production loss overall, we saw ending stocks fall a sizable 12.5 million metric tons, all the way down now to 279 million metric tons, which would be the lowest since 2016-17. And, um, you know, definitely seen the global balance sheet for wheat turn much more bullish here over the last three to four months when considering we were once anticipating 300, you know, over 300 million bushels excuse me, 300 million metric tons in ending stock. So now we're, we're here today with a projection of below 280 and maybe some room to fall further. Well, oh, uh, We will see. But looking more at the U.S., again, anticipation was for some modest revisions lower since we had the 10% hit to yield uh, going from June to July, but there was additional massaging lower on all wheat yield or total wheat yield. So we fell from the uh, 45.8 bushels per acre down to 44.5 bushels per acre. So production thus fell again, uh, just under 50 million bushels. We saw a little bit of adjustment to demand again with feed demand coming down another 10 million bushels. So that's 20 million bushels lower in feed demand over the last two months, which you know I'm not quite sure we're justified there to be, you know, kind of cutting those uh, numbers there on the basis of what's kind of likely be another tight scenario for corn and soybeans. You know, I could see 
wheat for feed still staying pretty strong, especially in the southern prairies and southern states come the, the winter months. We'll see how that plays out. But net net, we then drop ending stocks further from 665 million bushels to 627 million bushels. So again, still getting tighter and tighter here each month on the balance sheet for wheat. And again, the that wasn't really surprising to see another revision lower, but when you kind of dove into the individual wheat classes, I'd say the surprise was the, the revision lower came actually from hard red winter wheat production coming down. So we fell there production-wise by 28 million bushels for hard red winter wheat off of what's been perceived as lower than expected yields. Spring wheat actually held held constant at a 305 million bushel production level. So I, I do think that there is still room for that to go further, which kind of leans me towards, you know, I think we could eventually still grind these ending stocks lower to, you know, maybe a 590 million bushels number where we had last in 2013, 14. So definitely, um, you know, tighter and tighter each month here. The weather really hasn't gotten any better in the Northern Plains for spring wheat and also in the Pacific Northwest where we saw white wheat also take a pretty sizable hit to production with with the extreme heat and dryness they've had in that region. So Mother Nature not cooperating very well here. And with the La Nina set up to return this winter, we're looking at, you know, maybe another tough year weather-wise for the Southern Plains. And, um, you know, thus pricing is, is very firm across the board for all contracts today and likely stays that way for wow. six to nine months. That's, uh, I can tell you the Pacific Northwest is very hot. You know, that's where I'm from. My dad will tell you it is very hot and people up there don't necessarily have air conditioning. So lots of fans going on up there. So, uh, thank you, Eric. All right. Let's, uh, shift over to, uh, sugar with, uh, our one and only Kevin Combs. Kevin, did they do anything great on sugar today? You know, there was not a lot of changes on sugar, uh, especially when you looked at 21, 22 projections. Uh, they did make wholesale changes to uh, 2021, but really when it all comes down to bottom line, it was a very, very minor change. Some of the things that really catch, I think, our users and listeners' interest is going to be the import side because... They did increase imports, 39,000 tons. We've been watching the Philippines trying to figure out if they're going to ship all their TRQ sugar or not. The import report showed uh, a cargo came in. So I think it was 33,000 tons, 32,000 tons, something like that. So they still got uh, another cargo to go uh, to ship to meet their full TRQ. But it was interesting. The USDA actually did highlight all of that information on the imports. But the distressing part and the part that, you know, a lot of users and even refiners out there have been lobbying for some additional quotas come out. And then the USDA did make a point to put in a uh, bullet there in their uh, write-up and said there are no policy announcements concerning imports at this time. Come on. Come on. That's what I said, too. We need some more sugar, obviously. We're sitting there. We look every day, and the 16 market just keeps creeping higher and higher. You know, I, I think, Mike, you and I were working on some business a while back, and we were talking about Tier 2 imports coming in yes. at like $0.35. Cents. So there was a cap on the 16 market at $0.35. Cents. Obviously, the world market went up, and we saw it go up to $0.39. Cents. 
But, you know, we've trended back down on the nearby contracts as we approach new crop. But now we're looking at 2022 at 33 cents plus, which is absurd, especially when you consider last year at this time, we were looking in a, a market that increased a little up to like 27 and a half cents. So there's really no telling when that market is uh, going to settle down at this point, especially with the market so far contracted. I think uh, I think we're in for another uh, you know long period of time for high raw sugar prices, and it's really going to matter more about you know are there any policy announcements in the future, or do we have to now wait until after April before they consider doing anything? And with only six weeks or so left in the crop year, I think that's probably. Uh, probably the situation. I don't think, you know, when you look at supply demand overall, we're ending this crop year with a 14.3% stocks to use ratio, which is right in the middle of the range. Everything, you know, seems to be comfortable at that point. You look at next year's production numbers, the USDA moved beet production uh, into 2022. So early harvest uh, with some of the smaller crops in Red River Valley is going to be lower than what they initially forecast. But again, they, they lowered the two years production by 6,000 tons. So it's more just a shift. And thus 22 comes in at 5.078. Cane estimates are 3.97 million tons. Again, that seems to be a pretty good uh, figure based on what we're seeing and hearing. They lowered it 5,000 tons, you know, pretty much uh, unchanged for the most part. So, you know, uh, all in all, we're sitting at a 13.6% stocks to use ratio. Next uh, coming up, we're going to have some re uh, announcements on some of the quotas and whatnot that fall under TRQ imports. So that number will come up. September WASD, they'll lower Mexico to offset what that quotas increase. And they'll bring us back to a 13.5% stocks to use ratio. But I don't see any uh, fireworks coming up and, you know, just hoping that the Forecast for beet look better than uh, what they're expecting with average yields, average sugar recovery, average sugar content, etc. Okay. So. Well, uh, any any uh, comments on the uh, number eleven market that seems to be uh, continually to uh, increase as um, worse and worse reports come out of Brazil? Yeah, I, you just nailed it. I think the big thing is there's a lot of concern over Brazil. You know, we had drought conditions uh, over the prime growing season when they weren't harvesting. Now we get into the late year, get to kind of winter conditions, and we start experiencing some frost. They actually had snow in Brazil. That does not happen very often. So it's concerning for this crop, and it's also probably enough uh, potential damage here and there for uh, cane where you, you know, could see this linger on for another year. And I think that's really what's got the trade going. So uh, obviously we're now at 19 cents. And, you know, one of the charts we have on prices, I always make sure we maintain it going back to like 2008, 2009, because I love to show that bubble on the number 11 market and what it had impacted the market going back to, uh, I think it was 2011, 2012, when we saw world sugar prices spike up into like 25, 26 cents per pound, and then how that pushes up the U.S. prices and certainly raises our ceiling price. And when you have a market already contracted like today is, uh, it's it's there for the taking. And just to 
end on another downer because you've been talking mm. um, about all these downers on these reports. You know, there are some people in the trade suggesting the world sugar market could go up to 30 cents per pound. Ouch. Wow. And, Scary. Well, you know, that probably puts the number 16 at 40 cents per pound plus type of thing. Yeah. So never say things can't get worse. I'm not one of those that necessarily believes 30 cents per pound, but uh, we know the funds can get in these markets and uh, get spooked and take them a lot higher really quickly. But I think when you look at production, uh, I think India, Thailand, Pakistan, you know, the Southeast Asian crops that have struggled in some of the recent years, India, not so much, but uh, certainly Thailand, uh, are all having good monsoonal rains that Looks like they should be in store for a much better crop in uh, in Thailand and Pakistan, and Russia's got a higher crop. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic that world sugar supplies will be near balance. Maybe even another surplus type of thing could develop. So very very small, but uh, you know that should keep the lid on uh, world prices from going too much higher than what they are. Unless again, Brazil's the uh, obviously the biggest producer. And if that's worse than uh, what we're projecting at this point in time, then we'd uh, start to see that change. So got it. Got yeah. it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kevin, for a, a great recap. Thank you, Eric. And thank you, Nicole, for your recaps. We're going to go ahead and let everybody enjoy the rest of their evening and uh, boy, uh, their weekend as well. Uh, until our next podcast, as I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Live every minute moment you have with your friends and family. Go to our website and check out that little piece we did on edible oils if you're interested. If you're not an IQ subscriber, reach out to us. We'll put you on a test drive. But remember, you have to wear a helmet because it's really that awesome. <laughs> I, I don't even know if that works. But anyway, take care, everybody. Until next time. See ya. See ya. Later. Bye now. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.